Holy Gospel according to St. John, the 14th chapter. Jesus answered him, If anyone loves me, he will keep my word, and my Father will love him, and we will come to him and make our home with him. Whoever does not love me does not keep my words, and the word that you hear is not mine, but the Father's who sent me. These things I have spoken to you while I am still with you. But the Helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things, and bring to your remembrance all that I have said to you. Peace I leave with you, my peace I give to you. Not as the world gives do I give to you. Let not your hearts be troubled, neither let them be afraid. You heard me say to you, I am going away and I will come to you. If you loved me, you would have rejoiced because I am going to the Father. For the Father is greater than I. And now I have told you before it takes place so that when it does take place, you may believe. I will no longer talk much with you. The ruler of this world is coming. He has no claim on me, but I do as the Father has commanded me, so that the world may know that I love the Father. Rise, let us go from here. This is the Gospel of the Lord. If you had to guess which member of the Holy Trinity is often forgotten or stepped over, it probably wouldn't be much of a guess, but you know from experience it is the Holy Spirit. You have God the Father mentioned so prominently in all of the Old Testament stories about Israel and Israel's God. You have the Son, who is the focal point of the Gospels in the entire New Testament. And though, yes, in the Gospels you have the Holy Spirit descending like a dove as the voice of the Father in Jesus' baptism, you don't have the focus on Him in the Gospel. The focus is even in that story about God the Father's voice itself. But what of the Holy Spirit? What of the third member, the third person of the Trinity, whom we confess in our creeds as the Lord and giver of life? Often he is indeed given short shrift. And I think I've mentioned it in a Bible study or two, but the Athanasian, rather the uh, Nicene Creed, the one we say on communion Sundays, when that was written hundreds and hundreds of years ago, it initially ended this way, after the long second article about the Son and God from God and light from light and all of that. It gets to the third article and it says, And I believe in the Holy Spirit. Amen. People got out of church a little quicker back when that was the way it was. Now, with sort of the lack of focus that the church sometimes seems to give or be tempted to give the Holy Spirit, some people go the other way. They try and overemphasize the Holy Spirit. They focus on the gifts that he gave to so many people in the church after he came at Pentecost to dwell in the church. And they are constantly measuring those gifts or their estimation of what they are. Usually tongues comes in there somewhere or some sort of feelings. And they add with these gifts an extraordinary standard for somebody to be a Christian or to at least be a good Christian. Other people, of course, they chase after feelings. When it comes to the faith, they make feeling the highest achievable goal of belonging to Jesus Christ. And if they have good feelings, they say, well, I must have the Holy Spirit. He must be in me. I must be full of Him. If you feel good, that must be the measure of it. But the thing about these takes isn't that they are chasing too much to chase after tongues or feelings or even the right and good fruits of the Spirit, but to chase these things, to want them and to desire only them is to want too little. 
Paul says to the Corinthians, do you not know that you are the temple of God and that the Spirit of God dwells in you? He's writing to them, but you and I just as much, too. You see, a Christian, someone that follows Jesus, has the Holy Spirit. And to have the Holy Spirit means that somebody is, in fact, a Christian. If you believe that Jesus Christ is the eternal Son of God sent from the Father into this world to redeem the world, guess what? You've got the Holy Spirit. And not just part of Him, not just a little bit, not just the, kind of the basic plan and you can upgrade later on. No. If you believe that, you've got Him. Full of Him. And to have the Spirit, to be full of the Holy Spirit in that way, is greater than having all or the showiest of his big gifts. Tongues, the ability to translate tongues, different languages, or even, yes, even joy itself. I think a lot of us here in Iroquois County like that good line, and it really is a good measure for economics and politics, I think. Give a man a fish, he'll eat for a day, teach him how to fish, he will eat for a lifetime. Someone asks the question, what's better? Finally, in the zoomed out, broad view, what's better in that instance? To give somebody a fish or to teach them to fish? To have the ability to fish? It's so obvious to have the ability to fish because you can keep bringing the fish in day after day on your own, by your own power. And so too, what is better when it comes to the Holy Spirit? To have his gifts, one or several, many or all, small or big, or to have him himself. Which of the two is preferable? But what does having the Holy Spirit mean for us? What are the benefits of possessing him, the third person of the Holy Trinity? Indeed, there are plenty. We know that the atonement of Jesus Christ on the cross when he bled and died for the sins of the world was completely full and complete for everybody. It's good to say it, it's good to remember. There's no human being that you have ever met in your life or will ever meet who has not had his own sins paid for by the Lamb of God on Calvary's cross on Good Friday. Indeed, it is for all people. So in actuality, all people are Christ's purchased possessions. But personally, however, personally, that doesn't take place until the moment that somebody is brought into the faith. We are not his possessions in actuality until we are members of the Holy Christian Church through faith in Him. It is then that the Holy Spirit enters into the heart and takes possession of that person for God Himself. It's kind of like this. If you've ever bought a house, right, signed the paperwork, it is yours legally, and you can go to court if someone tries to say it's not yours, even if you've never stepped foot inside of it. But there's something real about living in the house, being in it, having the keys, having your stuff there on top of the paperwork that says it is yours. That is to say, you must be moved in. In the same way, all people are Jesus Christ's, the redemption that he won, but in conversion, the Holy Spirit brings us to him. By faith, we lay hold of Jesus Christ, and by sealing us with the Holy Spirit, Christ lays hold of us. But there is more to this. It doesn't stop there. 
To be Christ's actual possession means that we also have an inheritance with him. Paul says in Ephesians 1, so very clearly, you were sealed with the Holy Spirit of promise, who is the guarantee of our inheritance, until the redemption of the purchased possession to the praise of his glory. The message is abundantly simple, and it is clear. The Holy Spirit is, for us now, the down payment of our heavenly inheritance. It's God's pledge to us that he will fulfill his promise to redeem us finally, completely, once and for all. It's not yet complete, of course, but it will be completed and seen by us in completion at the day of resurrection. But in the meantime, what do we have? We've got the Holy Spirit who bears witness with our spirit to this truth. But even there, it does not stop. Not just the witness of inheritance that we have by this Holy Spirit, but that we are assured by him that we are the children of God. Go home, and if you need something to read this afternoon, read Romans 8. It's all right there. The Spirit also supports us in our prayers and makes intercessions for us with groans that words cannot utter. And yes, He leads us and rules our lives as Christians so that our lives do in fact bring forth the fruits of the Spirit. All this is to say the indwelling of the Holy Spirit in our heart means a lot to us. It's not a small thing. It's certainly not inconsequential. It is not insignificant. And that's why today, the Feast of Pentecost is a day that we set aside to celebrate the coming of the Holy Spirit into the life of the church. We celebrate it as a historical occurrence. It's something that a long time ago happened on an actual day. And we marvel today, of course, at the gifts that the apostles did receive on that day as they went out and were encouraged and spread the gospel to many others. But chiefly we remember today, and we also confess again, that we ourselves, as individual Christians, each one of us here, we as a collective body are temples, temples of the Holy Spirit. And the chief work and gift of Pentecost didn't cease or gradually decrease with time, but that chief work and gift continues to the end. That Christ is with us, and so too is his Holy Spirit. And that Holy Spirit is ever sustaining and keeping us in our faith, ever sustaining and keeping us with our Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen.